0: Hello and welcome to Champagne and Murder, please. I hope you guys are having a great Monday. Sorry I'm a little bit late. Had some running to do this morning. Um, so for today, I do not have a champagne. Um, I haven't bothered Tara. I'm gonna have to bother her later. Um, but today I'm drinking a caramel cold brew oat milk latte. It has um mushrooms in it. It's actually pretty good. It's by Pop and Bottle. Um today I have two stories for you. They both have to do with tattoos. Um, The one is actually an update from 2015, so I just took everything from that and put it in, Um, and then the other story is basically about forensic tattoos, um, how they use tattoos and in forensic cases and and everything else. So, how about we just get into it, because it's Monday. So, for my first case, it's about the um, Monique tattoo. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but in New York City, um, a murder victim washed up um, on the shore. And she had what looked like a tattoo that said Monique. But here's the update. Um, It's by Ellen Moynihan, Tim Falk, and Rocco Parascandola. Um, It's from the New York Daily News and the Police Bureau Chief from January 16th of 2023. When a woman's butchered corpse washed up near Coney Island eight years ago, cops strained to make out a lone cryptic clue. Seven letters inked on the victim's discolored calf, apparently spelling Monique. In January 2015, birders had spied a decomposing hand in a littered inlet of Gravesend Bay, past the ball fields inside calvert Vaux Park. That winter, other body parts were found on a hill overlooking the bay. A severed human arm in a tree, perhaps snatched and moved by a bird, and a le- and leg bones and a pelvis nestled nearby. A foot with nails polished in a translucent glitter was detected by a police dog who found many of the body parts. The medical examiner determined the woman was the victim of homicidal violence. DNA linked all the body parts, but neither the DNA nor the woman's fingerprints were in any database. Brooklyn detectives determined that the ink, which seemed to date to the 1980s, spelled out Monique, but nobody matching Monique's description had been reported missing anywhere in the country. A Monique in Queens was healthy, a Monique in Brooklyn was accounted for too, and so the case turned cold with each passing year. But the mystery of the murder of Monique has now met a surprising breakthrough. The tattoo did not spell out Monique. The name of the woman whose dismembered body washed ashore in Brooklyn was Jennifer McAllister. And that's le- all that's left now is for detectives to figure out who killed her and why. McAllister was 33 when she disappeared at some point in 2014, likely after she stopped going to her scheduled doctor's appointments. After her body parts turned up, cops held out the possibility that the tattoo could read as Ronique or even Conique, but decided it was Monique, until about a year ago. That's when the NYPD, using familial DNA, a method now prohibited after an appeals court ruled in May that such searches needed to be approved by lawmakers, got the break it needed. We were able to identify a relative of the victim, Chief of Detectives, James Essig told the Daily News. She recognizes the tattoo and says it's not Monique, it's Conique with a K. Conique is the name of the victim's son, Essig said. Conique, now 21, was 13 at the time, three years older than his brother who was raised by his dad. It's been tough for him, McAllister's sister said. It felt like his mother just abandoned him. The sister, who is in fact named Monique, said the family was frustrated by attempts to report McAllister missing, with the police telling them they couldn't immediately file a missing persons report because McAllister was an adult and not mentally ill. Detectives chased a number of theories throughout the years. An IUD was found in her pelvis, and she had a broken rib that was healing. She also had a pelvic artery stent, most likely implanted to prevent a DVT or a deep vein thrombosis. The devices, however, don't have serial numbers on them, and a police check with the area hospitals was fruitless. There was even a theory that her body was dumped in the water by an out-of-state trucker who may have slept in his vehicle after parking on a service road off the Belt Parkway. But it turns out McAllister lived a little more than a mile away, at an apartment in the Marlborough Houses in Gravesend. The sister, Monique Bailey, 42, said she and her family have no idea who killed McAllister, who she described as a doting mom. She was just with her son all the time, Bailey said. She was a very loving and happy person. Bailey said an Ancestry.com profile helped police identify her sister. Someone contacted my aunt and gave her a number to call, Bailey said. They asked if she was related to my grandmother, my aunt's mother. After phone calls back and forth, we actually realized what was going on. Bailey said it was encouraging at first to find out her sister had been found, and then the reality of what happened to her set in. I mean, at that point, we didn't know the details, so we were just excited, she remembered, but once we found out the details, we were devastated. Essex said the goal now is to arrest the killer and send him to prison. The murder, he said, likely happened shortly after McAllister stopped showing up for her regular doctor's appointments. Who killed her would be speculation at this point, he said. But anybody who knows her or knows the circumstances of her disappearance, please give us a call. There is a $12,500 reward with tipsters. Asked to call Crime Stoppers at 800-577-TIPS. And that is the update on the Monique Konique tattoo victim. This next story is actually um, an interview that I took off of um, a website it's called inspector the forensic analysis of tattoos and ink by the fourth wall and you can purchase the forensic and analysis of tattoos and tattoo ink anywhere you can find books and you can follow forensic tattoo on instagram for your daily dose of death so if you're planning on committing a murder anytime soon i have one piece of advice to help you evade capture don't get tattoos to commemorate the crime This might seem insultingly obvious, however, there is a steady stream of news stories featuring culprits seeking to have their tattooed mementos excluded as evidence. The great thing about tattoos is that a simple visual examination can provide a wealth of information in a very short time frame. We can evaluate location, design, colors, and any other physical feature right away, whether it's for the identification of remains or the identification of a suspect caught on film. One very interesting case is of a man who had tattooed a shooting scene on him. The individual's tattoos were photographed during an unrelated arrest, and a detective recognized the tattoo designs as corresponding to a homicide scene. This case certainly is not your average crime scene investigation or evidence analysis, but it shows how tattoos can provide clues even in the most obscure ways. If a body is found at a crime scene, a death investigator is called. Their job is to apply forensic techniques to evaluate the circumstance of the death and to assist the pathologist with the autopsy. Death for most is a very sensitive topic. I always had a very clinical approach to the deceased, as if the body were a biological specimen with a story to tell, says Michelle Miranda. While working as a death investigator for the Rockland County Medical Examiner, Michelle Miranda had two specific cases that brought to her attention the death of scholarly information, regarding the forensic analysis of tattoos and tattoo inks. A body found burning in a park made traditional identification methods such as facial features and fingerprints unsuitable. It was a tattoo that eventually led to a positive identification. The other investigation was a criminal case in which evaluation of the evidence presented questions as to whether or not a tattoo machine stained with tattoo ink had been used to make a hole in a garment where an apparent ink residue was left behind. This led her to become interested in the pivotal role tattoos can play in forensic science. Now an associate professor teaching an array of criminal justice related classes, Professor Michelle D. Miranda recently published Forensic Analysis of Tattoos and Ink, a pioneering book that attempts to fill the void of literature detailing the chemistry and analysis of tattoo inks and various ways tattoos can assist with, in- with criminal investigations. Professor Miranda offers her time to explain the multifarious roles her tattoos and tattoo inks can take in forensic investigations. How do you develop a clinical approach to the deceased, and do you have any memorable grim moments, she was asked. It was probably because I was a science major in college and we had to take anatomy courses and dissect various types of remains. Many of the people I have worked with and have the ability to disengage and think that way. Although I have seen a quote-unquote seasoned individual express emotions with certain cases, say for example a child, and it can take an emotional toll on individuals that have been in the field for long periods of time. Generally speaking, I prefer to remove emotions in order to approach investigations in an objective manner. I have seen and smelled some interesting cases. I can't think of any that really tested my convictions or career choice, but some really make you think about the nature of man. And then she was asked, it makes you think about the nature of man? And she answered, well, it is readily apparent that people can do really horrible things to each other. Even the average civilian, not in the field of law enforcement or forensic investigations, can watch or read the news and have an idea of the terrible things people do to one another. But news reports can be very different from actually being at the scene, or in some cases just viewing the evidence and crime scene photos. The general public does not see a lot of what really takes place. Even museum exhibits and photos shown in a courtroom can be toned down. Cases with children being harmed, tortured, and or killed really make you think about what people are capable of. There was the case of, I'm going to say this name wrong, Nix-Mary Brown, which occurred while I was at the crime lab. I remember the chair she was often tied to while tortured coming to the crime lab. Such a simple object that became a symbol of violent abuse. The chair was submitted for trace evidence analysis and biological fluid analysis. Another aspect... That the general public may not think about often is what man can actually do to himself, i.e. suicide, drug overdoses, alcohol abuse, vehicle collisions from DWIs, texting while driving, or road rage, and people just forgotten and left to die because they couldn't take care of themselves or they were sick. Some cases I've seen include a suicide in which a man killed himself in a motel, organizing his belongings, and even placing his ID in Ziploc bags so that the blood from the gunshot wound would not get all over them a man on a motorcycle completely severed in half after driving erratically and being ejected from his motorcycle. Each half of his body was located at different points on the side of the road and his motorcycle kept traveling down the highway for a distance due to the speed. A teenage boy that left a suicide note blaming his mother for his suicide. This was tough on the investigator. Do you show the note to the family? A man so affected by alcohol that he was completely yellow and Every drawer, his closet, and under his bed was filled with empty bottles of vodka, which he was hiding from his family. Two people that attempted suicide by jumping off a bridge together. One survived, the other did not. Murder-suicide of wife and husband by husband. Poisoning of a woman by her soon-to-be ex-husband. I've also gotten to see some interesting tattoos that were quite memorable. Like a man that had, quote, 25C and a slot tattooed on his penis or a very obese man with a tattoo of a cherry pie and I love pie around it that's heavy can you tell us about your book forensic analysis of tattoos and inks the book covers the historical evolution of tattooing and tattoo inks including the evolution of tattoo ink chemistry the book starts by introducing the reader to the process of tattooing and also addresses addresses sorry the interaction of tattoo ink with human tissue portion of the book covers tattoos and their role in criminal and forensic investigations, as well as the role tattoos have played in court cases. The second half of the book deals in detail with the scientific examination of inks in order to evaluate the types of pigments present in various tattoo inks. Overall, from an initial examination on the tattoo, whether on a living or deceased individual, investigators should learn to recognize types, styles, and patterns of tattoos that may lend themselves to describing the wearer's affiliations or associations. In addition, investigators should have some idea of local tattoo artists and their styles in cases where they're trying to link a certain tattoo to an artist in an effort to try to identify the wearer. Investigators should also understand that forensic experts and crime labs are capable of doing to resolve and evaluate tattoos and tattoo inks, including the use of photographic techniques and alternate light sources, as well as microscopy and spectroscopy. Understanding the evolution of tattoo inks, as well as the persistence of tattoo inks and designs, is also important and should be considered by the investigator. So, at what point do tattoos become essential to identifying victims? Criminals may cut off hands, feet, or heads to prevent identification. They may also bury, dump, or otherwise try to destroy evidence of the crime by preventing the identification of the remains, burning, dumping in water, etc. Tattoos are persistent and are rapid means of identification, and traditional databases, such as those for fingerprints, DNA profiles, and dental records, are limited if the victim or suspect does not have a profile on file. These methods may not provide any information, but an individual's tattoos are often displayed and viewed by many, whether by family members friends, co-workers, and, of course, the tattoo artist themselves. Tattoos on living individuals can also prove useful, as tattoos serve as an integral part of eyewitness reports or may be recorded by photography or videography during the commission of a crime. With regard to the chemical composition of tattoo inks, chemical information can aid in determining the age, quality, or prevalence of the ink. Can you explain how scientific inquiry is applied to the chemistry of tattoo ink? With respect to the tattoo ink chemistry, knowledge about the chemical composition can aid in the dating of the tattoo. Since tattoo inks have varied their composition over time, in the book I trace the evolution of tattoo ink composition and its change from ancient times, where inks were largely, largely limited to carbon-based black colors, to the introduction of ink in colors, which contained inorganic pigments containing iron, chromium, zinc, mercury, etc., To present-day inks, which contain organic pigments, what this could be able to do is to provide information regarding the age of the individual with the tattoo, which could be a tool for identifying the individual themselves. The classes of pigments include carbon-based, think ancient tribal inks; natural, which are minerals or inorganic; and synthetic, which are organic. The tattoos from the mid to late 1900s have a high concentration of heavy metals. These would be part of the natural minerals class. In the 20th and into the 21st century, we transitioned to the synthetic organic, which is what we use today. Think about when you have seen a tattoo in an old timer. Usually these appear blurry. The colors are mostly black, which appears blue, green, and red. These are characteristics of those tattoos of the late 1900s. Most people with knowledge of tattoos can tell the difference between those tattoos. Think old servicemen tattoos made popular by Sailor Jerry, tattoo artists in the Bowery in New York, George Burchett, etc and the tattoos of today, which have finer lines, more colors, and brighter colors. So let's say we find human remains. Information about the inks as well as the design can help provide an age to the tattoo, and thus an age to the wearer. This can lead to identification. And how can the optics of a tattoo lead to a positive identification? If a tattoo has enough characteristics and can be traced to one particular individual, then that can provide the information to guide an investigation specifically in the search for the perpetrator. For example, in the Bronx teens, stumbled upon the body of a female dumped in the woods. It was photographs of her tattoo that identified her. This investigatory information led to her husband and information concerning the timeline of filing for divorce, the application of a restraining order, a history of of abuse, and ultimately the disappearance of the victim. The tattoo is simply an ankle tattoo of a starburst. This case demonstrates the power of even a small, simple tattoo to lend itself to a rapid identification and location of a suspect. Could you provide several case examples where forensic analysis of tattoos has led to identification? From victim identification, like the case I mentioned earlier, to a crime scene tattooed on the suspect's chest, tattoos are a wealth of information. Some other cases I refer to in the book as well as during lectures are a case in New York City where a man claimed to have been assaulted by a police officer, asserting that the officer used his retractable baton to perforate the man's underwear and penetrate his rectum. Microscopic examination of the damaged fibers at the periphery of the hole in the man's underwear disclosed the presence of a dark staining. Subsequent isolation and spectroscopic spectroscopic analysis of the stained regions established the presence of organic compounds that are found in tattoo ink. Then, there was a case evaluating the tattoos of former American football player Aaron Hernandez. Here, lawyers believe the tattoos placed on the athlete during his travels have correspondence, corresponded to murders he was suspected of being involved in. The lawyers wanted to locate the artist and have many may have tattooed him in an effort to determine where he was located during certain time periods. More recently, individuals that do not traditionally get tattooed due to religious or moral beliefs are opting for tattoos to aid in their identification should they become a victim of terrorism or a war crime. This is interesting, considering these individuals have to make a choice like this in the wake of widespread fears of terrorism. And then there's the abundance of unsolved cases in which the tattoo is the primary evidence presented to the public in an effort to identify the individual. So judging by the importance of tattoos, when they appear in criminal investigations, how come nothing like this has ever been written before, And what procedures were investigators following prior to your book? She says, I don't know. If I were to guess, I would say that since the identification and investigation is often the duty of law enforcement or police, scientific experts in the field of forensic science have not weighed in very much. I'm not sure if there were any standard procedures. Typically, a photograph is taken and disseminated to the public in the hopes that someone recognizes the the design and can put a name to the tattoo. As for analysis of tattoo inks, whether from the bottle or human tissue, it just doesn't seem to have played a significant role in forensic investigations. I'm hoping the book will provide awareness and the capabilities of tattoos as well as the inks and thus play a greater role in forensic investigations and identification. So, I have a feeling that tattoos are going to play a bigger part in investigations after that book gets read. So yeah that was pretty interesting I thought you guys might like it and that is all I have for you on this Monday I hope that you guys have a great day I hope you have a great week uh, Mark and I will be back to uh, speak at you on Friday I'm not sure what the cases we're doing yet are um, I forgot to look before I hit record so I'm sorry about that But I hope you guys have a great week and remember, stay safe and don't take candy from strangers.